Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters and this is the first official episode of Talking Hockey Sense. And thanks so much for joining us for it. We've got a great show for you today. I cannot wait to bring you the interview that I did with Bob McKenzie, the original hockey insider. You know him from TSN Sports and NBC Sports in the U.S. And even though he is now in semi-retirement, he still remains very close to and will continue to cover the NHL draft. So we've got some great stories about his career that dates back 40 years of covering the NHL draft and some of his great stories from that. And also a look at the 2021 draft and specifically what is happening in terms of timing, in terms of what the general managers want, what the scouts want, what the NHL wants. There are a lot of competing interests and a lot of really challenging hurdles to this whole draft season, which is disrupted by the pandemic as so much is and it will be unlike any other, but we expect to have some clarity on the draft in terms of when it will be. So by the time this podcast comes out, you may have already learned that the NHL draft will either stay in July or if it will be pushed back, but that decision is coming soon one way or the other. So just know that, uh, that, you know, this was recorded earlier than that. Also, um, you know, we want to express just along with the hockey world, the condolences to the Gretzky family over the passing of Walter Gretzky. I really do feel like he was North America's hockey dad. He was certainly the most famous hockey dad uh, with raising the most famous hockey player of all time. But, you know, uh, Bob and I did talk a little bit about Wayne in our our interview, and that was recorded before news had broken that, that Walter had passed away. And uh, just want to continue to send out our condolences to the Gretzky family because there's no question that the the hockey family is such a part of the culture of hockey and it's such an important element of, of the game at the grassroots level. And I think Walter Gretzky certainly set a standard for so many to follow. In, in what he was able to uh, do with you know his sons and 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 his family and and obviously the most famous hockey dad of all time and and he will be sorely missed but uh, uh, we we are thinking of the Gretzky family. Uh, also wanted to mention to everybody that if you haven't yet, please check out hockeysense.substack.com. You can also reach it at chrispetershockey.com. 
Uh, but I just wanted you to know about that. That is what the the written elements of of the things that you're going to hear about on this podcast. But a lot of it is uh, going to be even more nuanced and more specific and very, you know, especially when it comes to the NHL draft, there's going to be a lot of coverage on there. So definitely do want you to check that out because that is really the the engine that drives my ability to continue to do this podcast and everything else. We, we are reliant on subscriptions. There is free content available uh, on the website. You can kind of check it out and get a feel for what that's going to look like. And don't forget, later this month in March, I'll be releasing my spring draft rankings and that will uh, be a, a subscription required piece. So please do subscribe today and subscribe to this podcast. This is a brand new venture. It is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. If you listen to the preview, you know how excited I am to to get this off the ground. And, and really the whole purpose of this podcast is to continue to enrich the hockey fandom uh, of you and whoever else uh, gets a chance to listen to this because I think that we're going to have some really phenomenal guests as evidenced today by having Bob McKenzie, who is one of my favorite people in the game and and such a, a huge mentor to me as well in so many ways. And really, as a draft guy, you know, a draft geek, he kind of set the standard for the rest of us and we've all been chasing him uh, in terms of of, of what he's produced in his career and, and has really made covering the draft uh, a mainstream thing, uh, which is really cool. So just uh, excited to have this podcast off the ground, and, and I think you're really going to enjoy the interviews that we have over the course of the coming weeks. Stick around after the interview with Bob McKenzie. I will have a few minutes of, of commentary on a few of the things that, that we tend to cover, like the NHL draft, like college hockey. There are a few things that, that uh, notes, news and notes that I want to get to at the end. And also for future podcasts, please send in your questions. You can email me at hockeysensewithcp at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Chris M. Peters, and I will answer some of those questions on the podcast. And I really cannot wait to, to get, get some of that interactive element. I think having listeners that are engaged is really important. And I want this to feel more like a community. So your participation is very much welcome. And, and I will try to answer any and all questions that I do get in subsequent podcasts. But for now, just remember, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you tell your friends if you enjoy it. Please share it on Twitter. Uh, share it on social media. Um, you know, Word of mouth is a great way to get the word out as well. But really to get to kind of up the iTunes charts and, and get a little bit more uh, notoriety in the podcast space, we really do need your, your reviews, your ratings, and uh, your subscriptions to kind of drive that. So I, I really hope that you'll consider that. And also please consider subscribing to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters over at Substack. Again, you can reach that at hockeysense.substack.com or chrispetershockey.com. They will get you to the same place and it will allow you to subscribe to the new content plan and that I have put together that I think hockey fans are really going to enjoy. It's a it's a, a newsletter that comes to your inbox multiple times per week. Um, you can also opt out of the emails if you don't like getting spammed and you want to just read it on the website. That's fine too. Uh, but we do hope that you will subscribe to that because that is really going to be the engine that kind of drives this whole media venture that I've undertaken since um, you know getting let go at, at ESPN amid uh, the many pandemic cuts that happened over there. So we're just about ready to wrap things up. And I, I just, you know, again, thanks so much to Bob McKenzie. He is such a, a gem. And without further ado, we're going to send it over to my interview with the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie.
You know, when I knew I was going to start a podcast, I knew exactly who I wanted my first guest to be. But unfortunately, Phil Kessel wasn't available. So I had to settle for the Wayne Gretzky of hockey journalists. That would be the one and only Bob McKenzie. Bob, thank you so much for joining me here and being the first guest on Talking Hockey Sense. Well, Chris, thanks very much for having me. Uh, good luck with the podcast. Good luck with the new venture. Um, I think it's going to be a wild success. Um, and it's funny you mentioned Wayne Gretzky and me in the same breath because <laughs> my first newspaper job was at the Sioux Star in Sault Ste. Marie. And I went there in the summer of 78. And that was the summer that Wayne Gretzky left Sault Ste. Marie after his one year of junior with the Greyhounds to uh, play in the, uh, in the WHA with the Indianapolis Racers. And as I like to tell people back then, uh, Sault Ste. Marie wasn't big enough for both of us, so we had to leave town. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know, and, and that job, you know, in, in junior hockey, I'm sure had a lot to do with, with your interest in the NHL draft, but, and, and that's a big reason why I wanted to have you on here. I mean, you know, you are in semi-retirement, I should mention, but the draft remains part of your repertoire of things that you wanted to stay involved with. And I, you know, we kind of texted a bit before the show and you mentioned that one of the, the things that really got you interested in the draft kind of came before your career. And it was the, the OHL draft is where, where you started kind of getting involved in, in, and being interested in that. I wonder if you could share a little bit about, you know, why the draft kind of became something that, that you were, were passionate about. Yeah. Well, I guess like a lot of people, yourself, myself um we we are draft geeks draft nerds call it what you want there's uh, either a missing chromosome or an extra chromosome that makes you interested in something that most people look at and say i don't really care about that <laughs> but but uh, you're right and and for me it wasn't just about being in the business although that was a huge part of it when i went to this who started cover junior hockey um but right at the same time um you know, my, my future brother-in-law was a good hockey player and he played minor hockey in Toronto for an organization called Wexford. And, and um, so he was 1961 born and, um, you know, he, he was up for the OHL draft. And so, you know, everything, you know, 15 year old, 16 year old kids were aiming towards was to try and get drafted into the OHL. And so that became a focal point. And, as I say, at the time, he wasn't my brother-in-law because I was just going out with his sister. But uh, now uh, his sister and I, Cindy, have now been married for 40 plus years. So, um, but his name's John Goodwin. And, and he was drafted in, I think, the fifth round by the, uh, by the Sioux Greyhounds out of Wexford. And uh, went on to have quite an amazing uh, junior hockey career with the Greyhounds. Um, and in fact, the, the year out, part of the reason he made the Greyhounds was because Wayne Gretzky left town and, <laughs> and Johnny was able to make the team. He was the OHL rookie of the year. He had 96 points his first year. He beat out Dom Bolpre for rookie of the year in the OHL. He had a bit of a off second year, which was his first NHL draft year, didn't get drafted. And then in his third year, third and final year of junior hockey, he led the Ontario Hockey League in scoring with 166 points and never got drafted. Wow. And so that whole experience that he went through, and so that was like a personal family connection because by the time he didn't get drafted for the second time, he was my brother-in-law. And to, to see the whole draft experience from the other side really taught me a lot about it. So 
you know, I got fascinated by the OHL draft. I mean, you know, I always like, if you want to get draft trivia, you, you, you say to somebody, who were the two players taken ahead of Wayne Gretzky in the 1977 uh, OHL midget draft? And, and if, if they say Tom McCarthy and Steve Peters, then they really know their stuff. But <laughs> a lot of people would just assume Gretzky would have been the first pick, but he was the third pick because uh, Tom McCarthy was such a phenom at the time and Oshawa took him and I think it was Hap Ems and Niagara Falls thought Gretzky was too small. So he took Steve Peters who had a cup of coffee with the Colorado Rockies and that was about it. So anyways, long story short, having a brother-in-law who was playing hockey and going through the OHL draft and then like the, the trauma of leading the Ontario Hockey League and scoring and then never being, I learned a lot about what scouts look for how unfair the process can be. And, and it, it gave me a, a good sense of to be a little bit careful too, because, you know, when you're doing all these draft rankings and you're doing all these draft capsules and I ignored my own advice along the way, <laughs> but, you know, try to be kind and respectful because these are all human beings that you're dealing with and they're, they are commodities in the eyes of various hockey leagues, but at the same time, they're human beings. And, uh, and sometimes it's a good reminder to, uh, to to think about that. Yeah, I think that's such a good piece of advice because it, you know, when when we're doing it, you might get annoyed by a player. You might get you might see things in his game that that frustrate you as an evaluator. Uh, but we're in the public realm. The the scouts themselves are in in the uh, in the in the private realm, and those discussions are not really taken into account. Um, you know when 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 we're reviewing prospects. And so they, the prospects never hear that they see what we write. And, and I agree completely. You do have to think of them as, as human beings because they are such uh, um, you know, it, they're, they're young still. And some of the things that you're going to write, they're going to hold on to for the rest of their lives. So uh, you know, I, and I think actually you had a good example that you shared with uh, uh, one of your uh, TSN colleagues, the, the O-Dog. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I wonder if you could share a little bit about that, because I think that kind of feeds right into uh, this. And then I want to talk a little bit about kind of your, your entry into uh, NHL draft coverage as well. Yeah. O-Dog hasn't forgiven me. He, he actually, <laughs> you know, it, it, we joke about it all the time, but he, he and his family were legitimately mad. See Jeff O'Neill, you know, people don't realize what a phenom he was as a teenage kid when like he was, he was like 14 or 15 years old playing junior A hockey against 19 or 20 year olds for the Thornhill team in the, uh, the old Ontario junior, junior a league. And he, he won the scoring championship by some ridiculous number of points. He, he was, he was literally the best player for his age in Canada. Um, and so when he went into that draft year, he had designs on being the, uh, the, the, the first overall pick. And so we, and the, when I was working at the hockey news at the time, I was, doing all the draft rankings, consulting with the scouts, but I was also interviewing the scouts and I was writing all the profiles, the individual profiles. So I've got Jeff O'Neill's profile up in front of me and I'll just quickly read it for you here. There are few players in the draft as inconsistent as Guelph Storm Center Jeff O'Neill. Few is talented either. When he's on his game, the speedy center is a Doug Gilmore clone. In fact, he's a much better natural skater. O'Neill has a fifth gear in the hockey sense to know when to employ it. Uh, than Gilmore and like number 93 has a feisty streak and uncanny playmaking ability that allows him to perform in traffic but unlike the maniacal Gilmore O'Neill's competitive spirit goes totally AWOL at times sometimes it's only for a shift sometimes entire games 
quote from a scout. He can play a high-skill game with grit, a scout said. He can also go from great to horse bleep real fast. O'Neill is no physical specimen, but speed and smarts compensate. He has a plethora of minor health problems this season, which he hopes are behind him after having his tonsils removed after the season. So O'Dog always brings that up um, playfully now, but maybe back then not so much. I'm not sure his dad has forgiven me. But um, <laughs> in any case, it's uh, it's just a reminder. you, you got to be a little bit careful. But it's also, I mean, it's the big leagues. They're going to the National Hockey League, so they got to get used to that too. Right, exactly. And yeah, I know I can think of a few times when, when I've, I've talked to players and, and they, they held on to the one negative thing that I might have said or written about them. Oh, yeah. As opposed yeah. to, you know, hey, but I said all these other things and, and no one ever sees, <laughs> no one ever remembers that part where I'm like, hey, I, I did rank you pretty highly, if you recall. Like, you know, but, but yeah, it's pretty funny how, how those little kind of twists and, you know, they, they take it personally. And, 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 and they're at that age where they don't realize that, you know, we don't take it personal. We're not trying to take personal shots at them, uh, but it's interesting uh, nonetheless. So I want to circle back in, 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 you know, your career in the draft and, and, you know, your draft rankings have become such a part of not just, you know, the draft itself and the coverage on TV, but really, I think industry wide, it's something that people look at and say, this, this kind of might have an impact on strategy in the draft room. It might have a, it might have impact on the way teams feel like, you know, when they can get a player that they had on their own board, maybe lower or higher than you had them. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I'm just interested to hear kind of the origin of that process where you, where you started that. And I, I believe you said you started that when you were at the hockey news and it, it has continued on. So when did that start and how did you kind of come up with that idea to, to make the draft rankings so centered on what you're hearing from the scouts? Well, I, I was always fascinated by draft rankings and, and really when I started out in the late seventies, early eighties, there were none. Hmm. Um, so when I went to the Sioux star, as far as NHL draft coverage went, there, there, you know, there were, you know, now there's so many different rankings and services and, and what have you. But when I was at the Sioux Star, the only guy that I ever saw, a reporter that ever really focused in on the draft as an entity was John Herber, the London Free Press. He was, he was the creme de la creme of junior hockey writers back in the 70s and 80s. And Herbie, as we called him, um, he, but he, by the way, was the guy that bestowed the great Gretzky on Wayne Gretzky. He gave mm. his name. Wow. But um, qu quite aside from that, what he would do, and, and this was all top secret because everything in the National Hockey League was <laughs> top secret back then, NHL central scouting rankings that are now put out almost as a, not just as a scouting tool for the teams to have, but as a marketing tool for the National Hockey League to help market its own draft. Back then it was top secret. And, and so you couldn't get the NHL central scouting list. Well, Herbie used to get them all the time and he would run them. And he wouldn't just run like the first round. Back then, it was a you know a ten round draft or a twelve round draft or whatever it was, and there'd be like a gazillion names on the draft list. Herbie would get the whole list, and the London Free Press would publish the whole thing. And I, I was this cub reporter at the Sioux Star, and I wanted to be like John Herbert, so I was like, I, I, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna announce my arrival as a as a media guy covering junior hockey, I, I gotta I gotta beat Herbie. I gotta get the NHL Central Scouting Bureau rankings. <laughs> before he gets them. And so one year, I think I did that. And I thought, okay, that was good. But that was really it as far as draft rankings went. So I went to the hockey news. And um, 
again, we ran central scouting rankings and we started to do a little more draft coverage, but there were, there were no draft specific publications. There wasn't even anybody in the media doing any kind of surveys or rankings or anything. So I, I, the only reason I remember this is, is in my, I haven't even looked back at it, but in my mind, I can envision the layout of the page that we did. And it was, it was literally like a page and a half of, of uh, you know, tabloid size at the hockey news of, of, a, of a draft preview. And I think we might've done five players, seven players, 10 wow. players, I forget. But I do remember, the, the only reason I remember it was the 1985 draft was because I remember writing the profile of Dana Merzen and remembering that name, Dana Merzen. Um, and I w- had to look back and see what year was that, 85. Okay, that's the year that we at the Hockey News started to do draft profiles and rankings. And, and I forget how exactly I did it, but I talked to a lot of scouts back then because I was in the junior rinks a lot and got to know a lot of them. And, and so I fashioned together some primitive form of talking to the scouts, getting their opinions and ranking the players that were eligible for that year's draft based on those very rudimentary interviews that I did. And so that was in 85. We upped our game in 86 and we actually created a standalone publication. I believe it was the 1986 Hockey News Draft Preview. Um, it was white. It had a picture of all the Edmonton Oilers that they drafted that one year with Coffee and Andy Moog and, and everybody. And, um, and with the story on Barry Fraser inside. And, and we did some rankings. that, And that's when I started a much more methodical process of interviewing X number of scouts. And of course... I was the editor-in-chief of the hockey news at the time. I wasn't getting out and seeing a lot of junior hockey, to be honest. So I realized if I was going to continue to have my passion for the draft um, and try to fashion some sort of ranking system, it couldn't be relying on my expertise because I basically had none because I was in an office all day. Um, so I realized I can talk to the scouts. If the scouts will talk to me and trust me to give me their opinions, I can take their information, create a consensus of their views and, and do that. And, and that's basically the origins of it. And it just snowballed. It got bigger and bigger and bigger, more and more players, more and more profiles. I got a little more, I wouldn't say scientific because you wouldn't believe even now when I do it, it's like a million pieces of paper with pen and little ticks here. And I don't <laughs> use spreadsheets and I don't use computers and I probably could, but I'm too old for that now. Yeah. So. Yeah, I have seen it. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, impressive. <laughs> and, and I think the old analog, I do most of my stuff on, on paper now too, even though I, I may be of the generation of the, uh, the technology and the spreadsheets. And I do try to keep a spreadsheet, but I find it a lot easier to look at my notebooks instead. But, you know, I, I think it, it, it's been really interesting to follow in, 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 as I've talked to you before, just kind of seeing how it all comes together and the, the varying opinions. And I, I think, you know, we are going to talk a little bit about this year's draft as well, which is a real crapshoot this year um, in a lot of ways. But I, I wonder if, if, 
you know, over all the years that you've done this and that, you know, they've come out, I mean, what kind of feedback have you gotten from teams and they're like, Hey, you know, that was a guy we thought we might be able to get later, or maybe, you know, that, you know, are you sure that this guy, you think this guy's going to go that early? I mean, how much interaction have you had from teams over the years? Because I, I know just from talking to some, you know, they'll look at their draft boards and then they'll, they'll look at, look at what you have and say, Oh, you know, is there, is there something that we, is there something that we missed or is there something we need to do? So, I mean, I, I just wonder how much you get after the lots of lots of feedback and in fact that period of time from when i finished actually doing the rankings to when they actually appear i get a lot of calls from scouts general managers when's your list coming out when's your list coming out can we get your list ahead of time we got a scouting meeting um and and that sort of thing um and you know and sometimes it cuts both ways sometimes you're right they'll look at the list and they damn you know, TSN's got so-and-so at number 17. We thought we could get him in the second round. He's probably going to be gone. Yeah. Or, or the flip side, they could look at it and say, oh, good. Uh, TSN's list has got a guy at 37, and we're ready to take him at, if we were picking at 14 or 15, we'll take him there. So, um, but it, there's some funny stories too, because, you know, different, the New Jersey Devils used to, um, they used to have an internal thing with all their scouts, and they had to fill out, uh, their own projection of how they thought the first round was going to go. And uh, so they, they would all do it and they'd all put it, it was like a pool and they'd, they'd all submit it and they'd all put 20 bucks in and whoever got the data system for count tabulating accuracy, I guess. And, uh, and so whoever got the best, most number of points and the scoring system that they had would get all the money. And uh and so I, I'm trying to remember his name. I forget. It'll come to me in a, in a minute, maybe. But uh, it wasn't David Conti, but one of the guys that worked for David Conti. I think he was the Quebec League scout for uh, the Devils at the time. He started just putting my list in, and he <laughs> kept and, and he kept on winning. <laughs> and then I think they twigged to it, and they I don't think they let him do it anymore or whatever. But that was a kind of a, a funny story. And and I, I do get a lot of um, I don't know how it's how or why it's happened, but it, it tends to be, and I'm not saying other people don't do just as good a job, but it tends to be a really good indicator of when and where players will be selected in the draft. And it's, and again, I make no bones about it. It's not a subjective evaluation by me. It's not my opinion mm-hmm. of where I think they should go. It's not my opinion of, or, or even the scouts opinions necessarily of what kind of career a player is going to have. It's simply an indicator or a, uh, basically a uh, projection of where they'll be taken on draft day. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it really has been, I mean, has it always been, you know, kind of one of the, <laughs> this, this accurate, I mean, cause there aren't many guys that that'll be listed that either won't get taken or won't get taken within, you know, a few picks here or there from where you have them on your list. Yeah, you know what? It's it's always been pretty good. To, you should talk to the quiz master, my pal Steve Dryden, who's, yeah. who, in his own way, is a draft savant as well, because he's always been. He was editor in chief of the Hockey News after me. Um, a lot of the stuff we did together on draft previews, he was front and center in a lot of it as well. And um, when both at TSN and NBC, when we were broadcasting drafts, the the amount of work and detail that Steve would put into the research for each individual prospect and and the draft shows that we do on TSN it's it's uh, the editorial content is 
is generated entirely by him. You should probably get him on your podcasts at some future time because he's probably got lots of good draft stories to tell as well. But um, it's always been a good, good indic- pretty good indicator. And listen, there's always outliers. We, we, we you know, there's lots of hits and misses uh, both ways. But uh, generally speaking, yeah, it's um, it really is a, a decent indicator more often than not of, of when a player will be taken in the draft. Yeah, I, I definitely fold it into my process as well after, you know, after it comes out and saying, how does this compare? I'm always excited when I see, you know, that some of mine are are within the within the same realm. I try not to move them too much based on based on what you have just to not cheat it, you know, and try to go off. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a lot different than just having a subjective opinion of, you know, myself or like Corey Pronman or any of the people that do lists, um, you know, most right, of us. So are, let, let me ask, let me ask you yeah, a quick sure. question then. So when you do your list or when yep. Corey does his list or whatever, are you projecting where you think the player should be taken or are you projecting who's this is, these are the players I think are going to be the best pros are, are like, are you providing a real scouting service or are you just predicting where they're going to go undrafted? Yeah, I, I think for me personally, I try to build it like a team would build a board, um, their right. own board in terms of, of you know, we this yeah, is exactly. who I think will be the best. And, and that's and yeah, and that does change the process. I mean, because everybody has different opinions. Um, but yeah, but that's exactly how I try to do it. And I and I certainly will take input from scouts. I take input from coaches, the players themselves, you know, all right. those things are folded in. But yeah, and mostly I'm trying to say, who I think will be the best pro, whoever I have right. at number one is yeah. the guy that I think will be the best yeah. player in the draft. So, yeah. so see, after the first round, if I've got, you know, 28 of 31, I'm, oh, that's awesome. I did great. If I got 23, I'm like, oh, it wasn't a good year for you or Corey or anybody else or for Craig Bowen, Craig Button, does, yeah. you know, Craigslist shouldn't matter where they get taken because for you, it should be coming back three or four or five years later and saying, Oh, I, I hit that one. That guy's a star, and we had him higher than than where he went. And this guy's a this guy's a dud, and I had him way lower than where he went. So yeah. you know, those are those are the victories or and or the losses that guys like you and Corey and Craig and other people who do do a service like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it is, yeah, it's hard to wait and you always want to be right. And like, you know, you see like a Nick Robertson pop off last year and I had him about 19th in, in his draft year and to see where he went. And I was like, Oh yeah. But you know, you never know until he hasn't made it yet. Uh, you know, I'm excited right. about the progression, but uh, he hasn't made it yet. Those are the types of things that you do take a little bit of pride in. And um, yeah, I mean, and, and we do things like redrafts and all kinds of other stuff. And, and, you know, Corey and I have tried to be very open about the things that we've gotten wrong. And I know, you know, Craig will talk about those things as well. And it's, it's never fun, but I think it's a really important thing to, you know, review your own process and see why you got things wrong. And it's obviously what the teams are doing all the time as well. So, you know, I think another thing that I wanted to, to ask you about just kind of off of that is, you know, has there ever, is there any, any player that you can recall that you either had super high or, or not at all that really surprised you in terms of where they went? Was there ever anybody that was just like, wow, how was that? It was so out of left field. Well, it was in the early going when I'm, I forget even how many we ranked, but I can remember, you see, you're talking nightmare fuel for me now. You're talking about <laughs> going on a draft broadcast. So being on TSN and doing only the first round 
and so at various times it was you know however many numbers of teams they, they switched as they expanded and what have you but but you know whether it's 30 31 soon to be 32 the the great fear and i still have it even now when i do the draft for nbc is my nightmare fuel is some team is going to announce taking a guy and i'm going to go i have no idea who that is yeah and 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 it only ever happened once and it was when the winnipeg jets with general manager mike smith took russian defenseman sergey bouton in the first round and i remember being on there and i forget who i was on with uh, but and i forget who the host was it could have been gordon miller it could have been john wells could have been anybody but anyways um i'm like sergey bouton and so Back then, the NHL didn't put out a full binder, like a big central scouting mm -hmm. binder like they do now. They had more of a little media directory thing, and, and they just had a little bit of a, a profile. And it was just, it was literally height, weight, team, um, and position, basically. <laughs> and, and so I'm scrambling through, and I'm looking for Sergei Bouton. And so I think I found it, and I'm... Oh, so yes, the Jets take Sergei Bouton at a, a six foot one defenseman who weighs 185 pounds. And, and then I realized I looked up and it wasn't, it was some other Russian name that was similar to Bouton, but it wasn't. So I'm like, not only do I not know who it is, I'm, I'm reading the incorrect information and, and I could, I don't even think he was in the book. And so oh, wow. that was that was one from left field, and there were others. Um, remember when the uh, the Oilers took the big six foot six Finn? I knew I, I, I'm probably, his name escapes me now, but I think it was like Tommy, somebody or other. But anyway, but it it was I didn't have a lot of information on him, and there's sometimes it catches a little off guard. Like when Colorado took Joey Hishin in the first round, mm. I knew who Joey Hishin was. Um, and I'd spoke, I, I, I knew his agent, Paul Capizano, and I'd spoken before the draft, I'd spoken to Cappy about Joey Hishin. And so I, I knew, but even when Colorado took, I think we had him, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but, you know, probably ranked him 40th or something. And he ended up going in the late, mid to late teens. And so you, that momentary, <gasps> and then you got to scramble and go deeper into your papers than, than you'd planned. So, but other than that, um, you know, there's, you know, a lot of the misses you have are because I'm just mimicking what the scouts think. And right. so when, when, when Neil Brady turns out not to be a very good player, um, you know, and went as high as he did to, to Washington or um, when Doug Smith doesn't turn out as good for the LA Kings as you thought he was going to be, but that's, you know, that's just sort of, that was, the, that was consensus of where they were in the draft going in and then they didn't pan out, but um yeah, you always think about the ones that, uh, and and again, from year to year to year, my memory's terrible now. It used to be really, really good for that kind of stuff, but there's right. just just too much information overload. So yeah, yeah. Well, I I would I would certainly understand why you would want to suppress that. I mean, I I've had a couple of heart drop moments in in the last couple of years, and guys that I knew about, but I didn't rank them very highly, like you know right. Philip Johansson a few years ago, and uh, yeah. uh, obviously Yegar Yegar Chanakov this year um, yeah. was uh, was one. I was like, ooh, yeah, he would have <laughs> been one. Like, yeah, we, I, I, again, I was aware of him. Right, um, I, I knew, and uh, and. and 
and with the draft being when it was, I probably knew more about him because he, you know, he just, he'd already started to turn more heads at the beginning right. of the season. Yeah, yeah, that was he. He definitely was one of those guys in this weird draft year where he had he had a body of work that you could actually draft off of from you know weeks prior. <laughs> so, um, you know, so yeah. The one other thing I wanted to ask you before we we kind of turn our focus more a little bit to modern draft um, and and to this year's draft is you know the process of of you know being involved in the draft on on TV i think that has definitely changed the way that uh, fans engage with the draft i think it's been a huge part of this boom in prospect coverage over the years um and and certainly you know i, I my my main thing that i wanted to ask you about was when did you notice that things that, that that fans in general were starting to take a larger interest in the draft and and did you ever see this kind of modern day where there are so many people like myself and Corey and, and elite prospects and, and future considerations and all those different kind of services and, you know, you know, people that do this work. I mean, when, when did you start seeing it kind of turn a little bit where, Hey, I'm not the only one. Yeah, probably maybe a little more in the nineties In the eighties, it was virtually nothing. So, I mean, right. the, the, the NHL draft wasn't televised and I had to look this up before I came on. 1984 was the first televised draft. Um, the CBC, my pal Dave Hodge, who I worked with at TSN, was the host of that. I don't know how many years CBC did it before TSN got it, but it, it, I, I was uh, when TSN did get the get the draft, whenever that was in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, oh, yeah, definitely would have been late '80s, I think. Um, but anyways, um, there was, as I said, there was nobody in the media that knew anything about the draft whatsoever. Like when I would go to the draft as the editor in chief of the hockey news, um, every beat reporter for every city, they would their guy would get drafted and they would come and talk to me because before they went and talked to the general manager or whatever, um, and you know the day before the draft, well, our team's pick, the team I cover is picking at number twelve. Who might they take there? And and they had virtually no knowledge of it whatsoever. And and obviously as time wore on, and I think it started to become a because the NHL started to televise it in the eighties because we started to give it a lot more attention. Um, I think it just started to slowly but surely snowball. And um, over the course of the 90s, I think there were more examples of, of mainstream media people doing it. And then, and, and again, you'd have to check and maybe somebody else you could talk to, but Kyle Woodleaf started Redline Report. I don't know what year he started that, but I want to say that when I was starting draft rankings at the Hockey News in the mid 80s, I'm pretty sure Redline Report was around then. And if it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't that long after that, that it was around. And that was, the, to, to my knowledge, that was the only, quote unquote, private public uh, scouting service that purported to do what the teams do uh, on their own. And he was actually, you know, selling his proprietary information to the teams and, or media outlets or whomever. Right. And, and the, the, the red line part of it was because it used to be printed on red paper and that was so you couldn't photocopy and you have to check with Kyle to see but um, he was one of the first guys that that I remember um, doing that and then over time there just started to be a huge proliferation of all these but I I, I couldn't 
pinpoint a specific year other than I started to get the sense in the 1990s that it, the draft started to become more mainstream. Yeah, I, I'd imagine that the the Lindros situation had to have kind of exacerbated that. Yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I can remember like even the, the you know, the year, the, the Yager year, Nedved, um, Ricci, uh, Owen Nolan, Forsberg, you know, um, I'm mixing my draft years up, but the, you know, that started to get a lot more um, attention. And that was, you know, in the early 90s. Yeah, it's it's a kind of amazing to me now. I think so, people do get so focused on what's coming next. We're, we're excited about what's now, but we're way more excited about what's coming next, what's down the line. And, and so now what's immediately in front of us is this most unique of draft seasons in 2021. Um, there are so many questions left to be answered about it, including when will the draft be held? I mean, there's been a lot of debate. I think there are a lot of differing opinions. I, I just wonder what you've what you've heard on and the latest on you know what we're looking at for the 2021 draft. Will we have it in July? Will it be delayed? What what is the the latest for you? Am I allowed to point out what day we're doing this on so we can timestamp? Yeah, we, you're exactly right. We really should. So we are recording this on Thursday, March fourth. This could be different. So yes, and yeah. it, 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 it's airing what um beginning of next week. Monday. Yeah, Monday I'll say. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you know we might have a decision by then. Okay, um, it's it's getting closer. I, I, and maybe we won't either. It's like anything else in this business. You think something's going to get decided, and then it keeps getting delayed. But um, I, I believe that they are going to sort this out relatively quickly. And in fact, today, being March fourth, um, I believe my colleague Darren Dreger reported a couple of days ago, and then I followed it up yesterday. Uh, uh, when I was at NBC doing my thing, that the NHL and the NHLPA are discussing the 2021 draft today, mm. um, being Thursday, March 4th. So what, what I, if I was going to frame it, I would say this. Most of the general managers I've talked to are very passionate and very emphatic about it. They do not want to have the draft at the end of July as scheduled. Um, you know, they might be coerced into doing a round or two in July, if that would be the legal requirement to satisfy, but they would like to do, in a perfect world, they would like to defer the draft. Everybody's got different ideas on when it should be deferred to. Some people think it should be deferred to the summer of 2022, that on one day you do the 2021 draft in June or July of 2022, and the next day you do the 2022 draft. Some GMs believe that. Some others believe, no, you know what? Halfway through, like around December or January of this coming season, um, so December of 21 or January of 22, that's where you do the 2021 draft. Um, I don't know that you're ever going to get consensus. And then there's other people who think, this is a great, this should be the entree for a 19 year old draft right. as opposed to, you know, just push everything back and just call it a double cohort and away you go. Um, that gets real complicated because as the, the, the whole reason a draft exists is because it's collectively bargained by the players association. Um, and otherwise probably wouldn't be legal um, with antitrust and everything else. So the PA is directly involved in a lot of this. Now I, I can tell you anecdotally, I've talked to a bunch. In fact, I, I mentioned this on the air on NBC on Wednesday. 
Um, I talked to 10 National Hockey League team head scouts and I asked them, what would you, what's your, what are you in favor of? Deferring the draft or running the draft as scheduled on in end of July in 2021. And seven of the 10 NHL head scouts I talked to said, have it in July, don't yep. defer. And I'm not saying that that's a, that's a simple majority. Um, it's close to a super majority, I guess. But <laughs> in, in any case, I think it's probably, if, if you were to do the whole league, I bet it would be a lot closer than that. But I do believe the do not defer the draft scouts would win um, a simple majority over the defer the draft. Um, I think the scouts I talk to that don't want to defer it say, listen, um, we've seen a lot of video on a lot of players. We're going to see more and more. We're actually going to see some live. We hope to see some live and in-person stuff. Um, yeah, the, especially if the WHL starting now. Um, yeah, and the OHL not playing has been problematic, no doubt about it. But most of the top players from the OHL have been playing in Europe or somewhere else. Um, they've had a full year of seeing the college kids. They've had a full year in most cases, as close to a full year as you're going to get for the Euros. Um, and so a lot of them are saying it's a level playing field and I'm as comfortable as I need to be. And we screw up the process all the time anyway. So maybe we'll get lucky this year doing it differently. But <laughs> the GMs are adamantly opposed to that. Now, I believe the league, the NHL, when I talk about the NHL, there's hockey ops and then there's the executive branch which for me, executive branches, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. Right. And Gary Bettman and Bill Daly are lawyers. And I think by nature, when it comes to doing something that requires a lot of legal wrangling, um, they would, I think they would probably say, to what end? What's, what's the benefit here? And, and, and the GMs are going to say, well, it's this, 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 and this. And I think they're listening and entertaining that. And that's why they're having discussions with the PA, the league is. But I think at the end of the day, the feeling seems to be, amongst the executive branch in the NHL anyways, is I don't know that there's a big enough reason to not have this draft at the end of July. And I personally feel the same way. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I did a, a similar story uh, talking to scouts. It wasn't had, not all of them were, were high ranking scouts, but some of them were. And um, unanimously the scouts that I talked to, which were both us based and Canadian based said, let's go in July. And, and they, they kind of pointed to, you know, we were able to have enough information on, on, uh, you know, on a Morgan Riley or a, a Alexander Galchenyuk to take yeah. them with, with very limited games played in their draft seasons. Um, and, and, you know, it's not a perfect situation when that happens, but I do, I, what I would like to see happen, sure. have the draft, have the draft in, in July as scheduled. Instead of a seven round draft, make it like pick an arbitrary number, four rounds, five rounds. And I suggested that to somebody and they said, you can't do that. There'll be too many free agents. And I said, yeah, I understand that. I knew when I suggested it that, you know, there'll be guys that fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. They'll end up being free agents, but a free agent now, I mean, in, in the in the entry level system, yeah, a free agent can get more than he would if he was drafted in the seventh round, but he's still not he's not hitting Ray Stazak home run <laughs> money as a true free agent that gets an NHL contract that isn't governed by the entry level system, which is, you know, as my friend Glenn Healy used to say, the entry level system is a cap within a cap within a cap. Um, <laughs> 
and 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 he's right. So and and you know what I think, and I think it would be a tremendous gesture by the National Hockey League and the National Hockey League Players Association for all these poor kids. You know what? That's who I feel sorry for. I don't feel sorry for teams that can't figure right. out the draft in time for July. I feel sorry for kids that haven't been able to play hockey all year, or if they had, they had to go to extreme lengths to do it. And at all ages in that, but especially kids that are planning for, for their draft year or kids that, you know, if you're an 18 or a 19 year old that's already been through a draft or two, um, you know, if you end up becoming a free agent, well, good for you. Like maybe some silver lining for, for this. So that whole, yeah, there'll be too many free agents. It'll impact us negatively economically. Um, think about the kids that are impacted. And, and if a, if a 19 year old or 20 year old, doesn't get drafted in a four round draft this year and he's a free agent and he turns out to be a pretty good player who gets an American league deal or something and then turns out to be really good and gets an NHL deal. Well, good for him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that let that be a gift from the NHL and the NHLPA for all these poor kids. Yeah. I think that's a, a great point. I, I really like that idea as well. And I think it's, it's, it is, it is really unfortunate for these players and, and, you know, you're, you know, an Ontario native and, it's as of right now, the OHL is really one of the stumbling blocks, but it's not just the OHL. It's also the leagues beneath the OHL. And and I understand that they're going to have, you know, a difficult time with their own kind of amateur, their, their, their uh, priority draft and all those other things. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, obviously you have a connection. Mike McKenzie, your son is, is uh, with the Kitchener Rangers as the head coach and general manager. And I, I, I just wonder kind of, you know, is how, how much is this year really going to impact hockey i mean it's a it's a huge question to answer and i don't think there's an easy one but i mean just in your sense i mean what are some of the concerns that that you've heard from from the people in ontario not just specific to the draft but really the whole process that's been delayed well i mean developmentally it's got a kids have lost a year of hockey it's and and, you know quite aside from moving up the ladder and trying to become a pro or get to the ohl or whatever just the mental health aspect of it is is really sad and and uh you know, these poor kids, uh, you know, my son, Mike, he, he did these five webinars yep. for minor hockey players and he just did it because he thought, you know, all these poor kids haven't been able to play hockey or practice as much. And some of them get to practice, some of them don't. And depending on the lockdown rules, wherever they live um, and, and just, you know, sort of that sense of community, everybody get on a webinar and here's some things you can maybe do to make yourself a better player to have fun or whatever the case may be. So, but it's really, um, it's really hard. And, and I mean, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a hockey dad, still a hockey dad. And, and it's killing me that, you know, I, I didn't get to see my son's Kitchener Rangers on the ice this year so far. Mm-hmm. And, and who knows if we will or not and for all those kids that want to play in that league how hard it is um but in practical terms i mean yeah you're right the the ohl has got a draft that's uh, normally would happen in in april or may or whatever it is and it'll go later this year i'm assuming they're, they're still going to have it um there, there was hockey being played at various times um you know I've, I've asked my son mike just in general terms i said if, you know if the, with the draft if there's a draft uh, are, are you ready to go and he said yeah you know we've had to go to extra lengths to to see video we've gone to a lot of different places to to see games and scrimmages and it's not nearly the same as what it would be but it's a level playing field for everybody else and time marches on and 
and there's a whole birth year of kids that are ready to move up and and get an opportunity to play in the OHL if they're drafted or junior A or college or whatever the case may be. And and so you know you gotta the wheels keep on rolling. So that's that's what you got to do. Yeah, it's it's really hard to uh, to adjust on the fly, but it's what everybody's gonna have to do. And the good news is, is for so many of those players, I mean we talk about this process being such a, it feels like a sprint, but it really is, you know, the, the cliche is it's not, it's a marathon in, in development. And my hope is that, you know, this is a mere stumbling block for those kids and that they, they're able to get back on the ice and wherever they can and, and continue their careers in some way. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to end it on a, on a downer note, because I think that there are positive, <laughs> there are positive days ahead. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just wondered if, uh, you know, to kind of share a lighter story, you know, what, what, is, what was your favorite draft to cover? Is there any that stands out to you as one that was, you know, particularly fun? It could be, it could be onset offset, uh, what have you. Oh, there's, there's so many, the, 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 I can, I can never answer these questions about picking people ask me what a special world junior moment. Right. And it's the same thing with the draft. And I'm like, as soon as you, you mention it, I get this absolute flood of a, of a bunch of different things um, that come back. And some of them are really obscure, weird, different things. Like one of the things I always remember was being at the Montreal Forum. And, and I think it was in probably the fourth or fifth round. The Philadelphia Flyers took a player from the Oshawa Generals. His name was Barry Tababadon. And he was a, uh, a, a, a native from Perry Island, um, Aboriginal kid from Perry Island. He was a real tough kid. Of course, Philadelphia Flyers. Right. Um, and keep in mind, this is the, uh, this is the late seventies, early eighties um, and tough as nails and uh, played for Bill LaForge in the Oshawa Generals. And he was so excited when he got drafted in the fourth round that he was sitting in his seat and he jumped up and he wanted to wheel down the aisle, but somebody was sitting there. So he stepped on the seat at the Montreal Forum in front of him. And instead of hitting the seat in the middle and the seat laying flat for him, because they flip up, he got too far to the back of the seat and the seat hinged down in his leg, his ankle went right through the crack between the bottom of the seat and the seat back. And now they couldn't, they couldn't, get the foot and he tried to lift his ankle up, but his ankle bone was, was preventing it from getting, getting up. And there was no way it was, it was coming out. So he's been drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers and he wants to go down to the table and get his sweater. And now he's stuck there and he's laughing and he's embarrassed. And it was really sort of funny and cute. And the maintenance man from the Montreal Forum had to come out and literally take the seat apart. It took like 10 or 15 minutes for him to get there and it's a wonderful story and it has a tremendously sad ending to it because a number of years ago, Barry was driving a snowplow up near Perry Sound and he had his young son in in the cab of the snowplow with him. And while they were driving, somehow his son fell out of the snowplow and Barry had to jump out to get get him and managed to save his son, but he was run over by his own plow and, oh. and was, was, was killed. 
And um, so, you know, and again, we can't end on that story because that's too much of a downer too. Oh, but man. I always remember, I always remember the lightness of Barry Tababadong being drafted and, and there was everything to do with Montreal. The Montreal Forum to me is the home of the draft. Mm. Always was. And, and that's why I was so, so, so disappointed that this last, this 2020 draft was supposed to be in Montreal. And, and it was kind of like when I, it was my semi-retirement year and I, and I knew I'd be doing another draft for NBC 2021, but it was so the, 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 you know, the, the draft was always in Montreal. And for me, going to the Montreal forum was all about going to the draft. And, uh, you know, I can remember when the Montreal Canadians had spirited Peter Sabota away and they brought him out to great fanfare and the entire place went ballistic in Montreal. I can remember Mario Lemieux at the Montreal forum, not, not putting the sweater on for the Pittsburgh Penguins, like obviously the Lindros year. There's, I can remember when the New York Islanders took Robert Nilsson instead of Zach Parise and Pierre Maguire on the TSN broadcast absolutely went off on the New York Islanders like you could not even dream about. And while we were on the air and while Pierre was going to town on the decision to take Nilsson over Parise, um, Chris Botta, who was the, the PR director for the, the Islanders at the time, our stage was set up at the at the one end and so our back is to our back is to the actual stage where the our riser is set up at one end of the ice mm-hmm. and our back is to the stage so we're seeing it on tv and then the the media riser is right behind us and so the media people could if they wanted to could come up to the very top row of the the media riser and they'd only be 10 or 12 feet below us and while pierre was on the air just going to town in the new york Islanders, chris Botta was running up the stairs and yelling at Gord Miller and trying to motion to him, get Pierre Maguire to shut the hell up. They had a big (laughs) watch party going on in Long Island and Pierre is just caving the Islanders in and bought us trying to get, uh, trying to get, Chris was trying to get Pierre to lighten up a little bit on this rampage that he was on. It was, it was one of the funniest for me anyways, not so much for Chris (laughs) and the Islanders, but it was, it was a classic moment and I, I could go on and on and on and on and on about all these draft moments. There's so many special ones. Yeah, well, I'm thank you for sharing the ones that you did today because this is uh, an absolute pleasure for me. And and Bob, I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me over the years too. I mean, you know, one of the things that I wanted to say while you're on here is, you know, one of the things I appreciate most about you is that you, you know, you make sure that those of us that are coming up now. Uh, have an opportunity uh, to to be in front of bigger audiences. I think I think you might be a, you might account for about fifteen percent of my Twitter followers off of your retweets. I would say, <laughs> um, and so you know that that certainly helps. And, and that exposure obviously has led to some of us getting opportunities. And I think about guys like you know Cody Nicolette, who used to be a WHL blogger and now he's an NHL scout. You know, and yeah. um, different people that that you know you've you've supported over the years, and and you are you are everything. Uh, that you that you know we see you on TV and we think of you as one way you're you are that and more and I uh, cannot be more appreciative for what you've done for me and for being my first guest because uh, 
I had to have you. I, this is, I'm so glad that you agreed to do it. And uh, thank you for joining us from Florida. You're a Florida man now. So we're on a mer- honor, honorary American, although I won't, I won't tell everybody in Canada <laughs> that, but just it's honorary. So to, to settle down Canada. We're all right. Uh, but, but Bob, really, thank you so much for this. And, and, you know, Montreal may be synonymous with the draft with you. You are synonymous with the draft for me. Um, and I hope that uh, we have you on that for as long as you are willing and able and, uh, that is uh, certainly uh, something I look forward to every year. So, Bob, thanks so much, and, and, and enjoy the, the sunshine in Florida. Well, thanks so much for having me, and um, I'm a Florida man for another couple of weeks anyways. I'll be soon back. End of March, I'll be back uh, back home in the great white north, and it is very uh, white and uh, cold <laughs> right now. But um, uh, I'm honored to, to be your very first guest, and uh, I want to wish you nothing but the best in, with your, your new venture. Um, and I think we'll all do everything we can to uh, support that. And it's, it's a community and we all try to take care of each other and be kind and help each other out. And when you need a hand, people are there for you. If you, if you give a hand, you, you get a hand. So uh, it's good. I'm a little disappointed. I thought there'd be a big American flag or maybe an eagle in the uh, background. And I know I, I always got a kick because when you would do the world junior stuff in your USA hockey uh, um, blog that you used to do and uh and, and so you just used to make me laugh because you would sometimes do nothing but like a, a meme or a, a, a gif of an eagle yeah. or a video <laughs> or whatever. And it's funny, I was not too far from here, uh, right up the street from me, there's, um, there's a big eagle's nest on top of a light standard and there's people come and take pictures of it. And, and my buddy, flew, the eagle flew right over our pool one day and... Uh, he took a great picture of the eagle, and I said, "Oh, as soon as I saw that eagle, I said, <laughs> I got to make sure I send that to Chris Peters." So. That was perfect. I think that came on like my last day at ESPN too, or maybe like yeah. right around there. So I needed that pick me up, and uh, nothing sends me like a bald eagle. I I love I love a good <laughs> bald eagle picture. So so Bob, thanks so much, and and this has been an absolute blast, and 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 thank you for the kind words, and I, I really can't thank you enough for everything that uh, you have done and continue to do for the game. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. All the best, pal. All right. That was Bob McKenzie. And what a fun interview that was. It was so great for, for me to have Bob on. And and really, he he is such a great person and a great mentor. And I think it comes across in, in how kind and generous he has been for uh, the many young people or younger people. I'm not that young anymore uh, that, that do this. So uh, also kind of learning about some of the verbal tics that I have as I do this podcast. I've heard that from other podcast hosts is that you start learning about those things. And apparently I say, you know, a lot when I'm interviewing somebody. So I'm going to work on that for you because I can imagine that that gets a little bit tedious. <laughs> so I hear it too. And I'm going to try and work on that. I'm still learning the the ropes a little bit of podcasting. But once again, thank you to Bob for, for that. And wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about a few of the things that are kind of in the offing in terms of the draft. And, and one of that is the race for number one. And I covered this on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters uh, on Substack. So again, please subscribe to that. But, you know, I talked a little bit about the the race for number one. And, and most still agree that Owen Power, the defenseman for the University of Michigan, is the number one guy. But as you look at the public lists around and, you, you know, you look at guys like Dauber Prospects and Future Considerations and and McKean's and, and, and HockeyProspect.com and Elite Prospects, a lot of differing opinions in terms of who should be the number one guy. I still think that the general consensus 
is that Owen Power is the the guy that NHL teams are most comfortable with at this point at being the number one pick. He's a six foot five defenseman, highly mobile, highly intelligent. You know, I think there have been times where his youth has showed this year at Michigan, but overall, he's played a very solid brand of hockey and plays a lot of minutes and even though he's playing all those minutes, he's only taken three penalties this year as we record this. So uh, he's very disciplined. He's got a great stick. So the you know those those types of things that 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 really resonate with teams uh, have continued throughout the season. But it's not that he's alone. There's a lot of other players that very well could jump into this race. One guy that's been pretty common has been Luke Hughes, who plays the national team development program. Of course, the younger brother of Jack and Quinn Hughes, um, and and. He's he's an outstanding defenseman. He's the tallest Hughes brother at six foot two. He defends well. Um, his offensive elements are are not quite at the level of a Quinn Hughes, but I don't think it's fair to always compare brothers to brothers. Uh, but you know his skating style is similar, and I think that you know when he skates, you know similarly at the sizes that he's at, it, it definitely makes you take notice. Um, I think you know we, we've seen him kind of go through a draft, uh, a, a drought rather offensively after having a long scoring streak and and the NTDP has played a bit of a weird schedule this year so it's been a little harder to get a gauge on that under 18 team in terms of of how good some of those players really are I do think Luke Hughes is is a top five pick at this point does he challenge Owen Power at this point I'm not all the way there yet but I think he's a contender one of the guys that I think is one of the closest competitors for Owen Power however is his own teammate, Matty Beneers. And, and Beneers has had a great season overall. He doesn't have eye-popping offensive numbers right now, but I think, you know, in talking to scouts and in and just in watching Michigan a lot this season, there have been so few games where Beneers wasn't the best player on the ice. His speed is noticeable, his physicality is noticeable, his competitiveness is noticeable. Great, you know, two-way center, a guy that you can win games with. And I think that that's one of the things that a lot of scouts have said this guy is a playoff ready kind of prospect. He he plays that style and he he he's always competitive. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see. Does Matty Beneers get involved in the number one uh, race? And and one of the things that I wrote about on Hockey Sense was that you know I look back to 2006 draft. Eric Johnson it goes number one. Jonathan Taves goes number three. Now, Eric Johnson was a little bit younger, still playing at the National Team Development Program when he was drafted. Jonathan Taves was a freshman in college. Beneers actually has, you know, a similar point per game rate as Taves did at that point. And, you know, if we redid that 2006 draft where we have the incredibly athletic and, and I'd say Johnson is probably more offensive, had more offensive upside or appeared to have more offensive upside than power necessarily does in this year. But, you know, I think you you go back and redo that draft, and I think that you know St. Louis probably ends up taking Taves in in a, in a do over with hindsight being twenty twenty. There was nothing wrong with picking Eric Johnson. He was such a, a specimen and an athlete at that time. You know, it, he he made a lot of sense as a number one pick, and you know he of course had injuries earlier in his career that kind of knocked off his trajectory a little bit. But then you look back, and I I see Beniers. You know, I I do not do player comps, but you know just in terms of. The way that he impacts a game, I think Matty Beneers does have some of those Jonathan Taves-type traits, and I, I think that's what's going to attract teams and make him a p- possibility at number one. But there are still others. You know, I think you look at, at William Eklund and Fabian Lysel in 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 Sweden right now, two highly skilled forwards that 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 jump off the, the video screen. You know, I think Dylan Gunther has played a really 
strong game so far this season and is now back and, and had eight points in his first weekend of WHL action with the, the, the WHL returning. And, and so suddenly he's an interesting option. You know, I think there are teams that have to at least consider, um, you know, some of the other defensemen. Brant Clark is having a great season playing in Slovakia. He should be in the OHL right now. I think he'd be a dominant force there. But you look at a Canadian kid going over to Slovakia, playing professionally there and playing big minutes. He's been an impact player over there. And so he's got to be in that discussion. So again, I still think that this looks more like it's going to be Owen Powers position to lose at number one overall. But that's a very interesting conversation to continue to have as we progress towards the draft. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're still not 100% positive, And maybe by the time this podcast comes out, we will have a better idea of when the draft will be. But I also wrote on Hockey Sense about draft timing. And, you know, the OHL is still not playing. We do not know when it will come back. The WHL, however, announced recently that they will have all of their divisions finally up and running by the end of March. And they started with Alberta, and, and we saw, I mentioned, Gunther had eight points in the first two games of, of his return to play. And that's a huge thing. So now you've got the vast majority of players have a body of work for scouts to look at. And the scouts that I've talked to, and, and as Bob mentioned in the interview, they want to go in July. They feel like they have enough of a body of work. And it, it, it isn't fair for the Ontario Hockey League players that have not played. It is unfortunate. But as some of the scouts I, I talked to said, you know, we've made decisions based on less amount of information, you know, and Morgan Riley is an example of that as a player who was injured for most of his draft season. You know, I think Brett Connolly was, you know, went sixth overall with some significant injury problems in his, his draft year. You know, I mentioned Alexander Galchenyuk who went third overall, despite barely playing in his draft season based on largely on, what he did as a 16-year-old in the OHL. And and those are the types of things that scouts are going to continue to try to, to look into and, and and see what kind of information they can extrapolate off of the, the past the past viewings of these players. They've seen all these players play in some way or another, whether it be on video or live. They've seen these players play some amount of games. And you know, you have to judge based on what you're seeing how valid and valuable that information is going to be. So that's why I think that keeping the draft in July remains the most sensical thing. I, I really do feel that. I thought Bob's idea of, of extending the draft or, or, or shortening the amount of rounds for this year and maybe increasing the number of, of free agents could be interesting. I also think a lot of teams are investing more in you know, going back over and looking at the players that are second and third year draft eligible. We've seen players go and, you know, the first and second and third round that were in their second or third year of eligibility. And those players have, you know, some good success because teams are seeing more and more that, uh, that those players can potentially be uh, uh, more valuable because they have that, those years of development under them. There's more of a track record there. And I think that's something that the teams are absolutely looking at and, and considering in future drafts. But we're going to have a World Under-18 championship in, in April and in going into May in Texas. So that's another opportunity to see a lot of high-end draft prospects in one place. Um, you know, Most of the leagues in Europe have, have been able to continue to play, and a lot of those players have, have you know, continued their, their seasons unabated. And, and we've obviously seen the USHL, which is a, a great year for the draft there in the USHL and in college hockey. All those players have continued to play. So the question remains, it's unfair to the players that haven't played, but think about also the players that have made 
you know, they, they've done what they had to do to find a place to play. And that's not to say that it was an easy thing. And I don't think that any player should have been looked at to say, you know, go to all ends of the earth and find a place to play because I don't think that's necessarily fair because that wasn't available to everybody. But at the same time, the vast majority of players that are eligible for this draft have played. So I think that they need to be given the opportunity to to be drafted. And I think that we need the best opportunity to, to kind of return the schedule to normalcy um, after this season. And I think our best effort to do that is to hold the draft in July and then you know, try to get back on a regular schedule as soon as possible, as soon as essentially the pandemic allows us to do that. And I think there's a lot of momentum and a lot of positive feelings that we're, we're getting closer and closer to being out of the woods. One more time to just shift gears, and I'll, I'll be brief on this, but college hockey is wrapping up its regular season. We're seeing a lot of uh, great hockey being played at the collegiate level, a lot of quality prospects. If you go over to Hockey Sense, I've got the 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 Rookie of the Year rankings uh, for my watch list, the Tim Taylor Award, which is not, one that doesn't get the coverage of the Hobie Baker or the Mike Richter Award, but it's really become a very interesting award. And you look at some of the most recent winners, and it's it's Jack Eichel, who you know obviously has become a star in the NHL. It's it's Joel Farabee, who's averaged over a point per game this season for the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, you know, last year was Alex Newhook, who who I think is going to be a really tremendous NHL player. So I think that that's a that's an award where we start to see a lot of NHL prospects. And and the guy that's leading the race right now is Thomas Bordalo at the University of Michigan. There there's all the talk about Owen Power, Maddie Beniers, and Kent Johnson as the draft eligible guys who who are exceptional. But Thomas Bordalo has been. Uh, all that and more. He's the leading freshman scorer in the in the in the country. He leads the Wolverines in scoring. He has 1.3 points per game. And over the last 20 years, for U19 players, I believe there are only 11 others that have averaged more points per game. And every single one, uh, but one of them actually, uh, is a everyday NHL or an impact player in the NHL. So that's a very good company for for Thomas. Thomas Bordalo to be in. You can see the rest of the list at hockeysense.substack.com. And we will have so much more next week. Again, check out hockeysense.substack.com for a lot more coverage of prospects, the draft, hockey at all levels. We've got U.S. national team news. There's there's a story up there about who should be the general manager for Team USA at the, at the 2022 Olympics. Got a, got a bit of a you know, a lot of information on kind of that whole process and where we're at in that process as well. A lot of original reporting, a lot of original analysis. And I also want to take this opportunity to send a big, big thank you to Instat, which is now uh, the video provider for for me at Hockey Sense. I am using their scouting software. Uh, it allows me to make sure that I'm not missing anybody. Uh, they have a great product and great software. So definitely Look up Instat Hockey on Twitter. They often have a lot of interesting uh, videos and things of that nature. It's it's uh, It's been such a huge help to me, and I really cannot be more grateful for their partnership in helping me get Hockey Sense off the ground and continuing. But as we go forward here, we'll have another podcast next week. We'll kind of have to play it by ear in terms of when it'll be released, but I hope to have every podcast out by Wednesday. Uh, and so definitely like, subscribe, make sure that you get on there. I'm, I'm on all major podcast platforms or at least getting getting close to all of them. Uh, we have almost all of them there. And you can also listen to it on hockeysense.substack.com. There is a, a free uh, listening tool there 
for the podcast if you need to find it that way. But again, best way to get to it, download, subscribe, like, rate, review. We could use all the help we can get to getting the word out. If you enjoyed this podcast with Bob McKenzie, we've got a lot more coming uh, where that came from. And I can't wait to announce our next guest that will be coming up next week. You'll have to stay tuned for that one. So that's it for today. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. Can't wait to see you next week. Thank you.